podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Hello everyone and welcome to this week's edition of the Spanish Football Podcast. Now that the Christmas and New Year festivities are well and truly over, we're going to be back to our usual schedule at patreon.com forward slash TSFP. Patrons are going to be getting a Q&A pod on Tuesday and a bonus pod on Friday discussing the Spanish Super Cup semi-finals. Plus we're going to be restarting our TSFP Presents series Top 5s very soon and you also get access to the TSFP Discord. Join us. It's only four euros a month, plus annual memberships with a 10% discount are now available. Come and join us. Patreon.com forward slash TSFP. Hello, Sydney. Hello, Philip. It feels like a Monday, doesn't it? It feels like it's kind of back to normal. I'm, <laughs> I'm sitting in a car at the side of the road um, and it feels very like, wow, it's done. Christmas is over. The World Cup is officially gone. We are back. We're back to normality. I mean, you're saying it like it's a truly terrible thing. No, no, it's, it's a magnificent bad. thing. No, no, it's magnificent. Okay, there's, there's, a bit of me, there's a bit of me that quite likes the stupidness of it all. <laughs> Good. I'm hoping it's quite a big bit of you that likes the uh, the stupidness of it all. Uh, here's what happened on uh, match day 16 uh, in La Liga. We had uh, two matches on Friday, uh, two away wins. Celta Vigo beating Elche by a goal to nil and Cadiz winning 1-0 at Valencia. Uh, Elche remain bottom of the table. They're the only team in La Liga who still haven't won and they're going down. They are going down. Then on Saturday, Villarreal beat Real Madrid 2-1 at the Estadio de la Ceramica in a really fantastically entertaining game. Uh, Mallorca beat Valladolid 1-0 in a considerably less fantastically entertaining game, uh, but it was a 94th minute winner from Abdon Prats, which was pretty dramatic. And then Espanyol and Girona played out a 2-2 draw in the Catalan derby, or one of the Catalan derbies, at the RCDE Stadium. And then on Sunday, Real Sociedad continued their tremendous season, quietly having a brilliant, brilliant campaign. Their third, they're five points clear of fifth place, and this was their tenth win of the season. 2-0 at Almeria. Uh, Betis won 2-1 at Rayo Vallecano. Sydney was there. It was cold. It was windy. It was wet. Uh, but the football was entertaining, at least. Uh, Sevilla got their first home win of the season. Their first home win since the 22nd of May, beating Getafe by two goals to one. It was nervy. It wasn't pretty, but they just about got there in the end. And at the Civitas Metropolitano, it was the big one. Atletico Madrid nil, Barcelona won. What I thought was a tremendously entertaining game, but apparently some other people didn't. Um, maybe we can start there, Sydney, because I was listening to the post-match analysis of the game on Spanish radio and they said it was a really poor game. They described it as a, a partido gris, a grey game, and the front cover of Marker this morning called it a, a disappointing game. I don't know. Maybe I'm weird. Maybe I'm wrong. But I thought it was really entertaining. Yeah, I, I'm. I'm very much more on your side than on theirs. Um, I, I enjoyed it. I thought there were quite a lot of chances. I thought Atletico Madrid, after that opening 25 minutes or so, played played really quite well. They were the better team. I felt Barcelona didn't play brilliantly, but still created a couple more chances. And also, I think it's quite interesting to watch Barcelona be able to play the other way, if you like, to be able to kind of hang on to a result, even if there's a heavy dose of luck involved in that. I thought it was interesting to see Atletico Madrid take a step forward and carry the game to Barcelona and create sufficient chances to have at very least drawn it, and I personally think to to have won it. I 
I was watching it pitch side, so you always get a sense of the speed and, and, and the athleticism and some of the quality, and it was... Uh, I, I enjoyed it. I'm the same as you. I enjoyed it. I mean, it wasn't a classic, of course, and it wasn't as good as the, the Villarreal-Real Madrid game, which, which turned out to be the best game of the weekend, I think. But it was, it was enjoyable, and, and I think it was a... I think it was a game that, that felt like two properly good teams. Well, maybe not properly good. Maybe that's a slight exaggeration. Two big teams. Two teams mm. with a lot at play um, going for, for, I think in both cases, going for, for three points. Obviously, in Atletico's case, because they were forced to. And in Barcelona's case, because they got the three points that they then wanted to, to try and hang on to. Uh, Diego Simeone said after the game, they had 20 minutes and scored a goal. We had 70 minutes and didn't. If you'd told me before the game that we'd suffer for 20 minutes, then have 70 good minutes, I'd have taken it. Would you go along with Cholo's assessment of the match? Yeah. Yeah, I would. Um, I, think we, I think we need to... Obviously, you need to look at things through the, uh, through the context of the result, and, and that conditions absolutely everything. And I think, to be fair to Cholo, I don't think he's refusing to do that because he was quite clear in saying, you know, they scored their chances, we didn't, or one of their chances, we didn't. And that's the big difference. I think he's fundamentally right. Um, I think you need to look at the kind of the, 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 the nature of the chances that are created in those minutes, but I don't think there's any doubt at all that Atletico Madrid had um, more territorial advantage, maybe not much more in terms of possession. The, the possession stats um, by the end of the game still favoured Barca, but they'd been so heavily Barcelona in the first 25 minutes that it took a while for them to sort of balance out. Um, I, and I think, he's, I think he is fundamentally right. And of course, this is a manager who has based his career and a lot of his discourse on, on effectiveness. He's based a lot of his career in his discourse on, on competing. But that doesn't mean that he's not allowed to then say when they lose that there are things I like. And he said something else that was interesting, which kind of followed on from that quote that, you, that you've just come up with then. He said, you know, they had, 70, they had 20 minutes, we had 70. He then said, some things happened today which for me are very, very, very clear and therefore are useful to me. The problem is that I'm not sure that his team necessarily see it like that. I mean, Old Black afterwards was basically saying, I don't understand why this happens. I don't understand why we start like this. I don't know why we don't have either the confidence or the trust or the belief in what we're doing to be able to go for the team from the start and that we needed to be behind to effectively take that step up. Um, I then asked Josema Jimenez basically to kind of pick up where Old Black had left off. And it was quite interesting. He said, well, it doesn't work like that. He said, you know, sometimes there are games when you think like this one that you can do them damage by waiting for them. Then you think you can do them damage by going for them. And so if the lesson is learned from Simeone, is the lesson you've got to go for the next time, to which his response was, well, every day game's different and it won't be like this next time. The problem for, for Atletico, I suppose, is that as Oblak was hinting at, some of this stuff is, is recurring. Well, I mean, he was hinting at that very strongly, wasn't he? He was saying this happens, this, yeah. is, this keeps I mean, happening. I mean, he was very, yeah. very direct, yeah. yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah, very direct, and I thought he sounded very, very down as well. By mm. the way, um, it wasn't just direct; it was it was him saying, I, "I, I don't get it. I don't know why we like this. I don't know why this is so bad." I mean, he even says at one point, "I don't know what it is. If I did, it wouldn't be happening." Mm. And I suppose that's true. If he if he'd actually been able to put his finger on it directly, it wouldn't be happening. Mm. I mean, they are now out of the title race. If they were ever in it, they are um, quick maths. 14 points behind Barcelona. If they'd won, they would have been eight points behind. And maybe with a semblance of an opportunity, they're not going to win the league now. They're not going to do anything no. in Europe this season. Their only chance is to finish top four 
and try and do something in the in the Copa del Rey. So it's 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 basically not going to be a particularly good season for Atletico, and we know that. And it's the 9th of January. That probably added to the feeling why Jan Oblak was feeling yeah. so down. I yeah. think because this was a, a pretty definitive result for them, even though um, we're in early January. Is it? Would it be a step too far for me to suggest as well? That um, yesterday was Oblak's 30th birthday, or the day after his 30th birthday, I think it was Saturday actually. Um, this is now eight years at Atletico Madrid. Throughout these eight years, I think we've all had a feeling, haven't we, that this is a goalkeeper who's one of the best three or four in the mm. world, maybe maybe five or six if we don't want to be so generous. Is there a bit of him, do you think, that is looking at this and thinking, I could have moved on, maybe I should have done, maybe those opportunities will start to break down? Um, or is the satisfaction of, of Atletico big enough for him? Does he maybe feel that there's a risk that if he went somewhere else, he wouldn't be as good? I, I just wonder if with him, there's that just that extra layer. And also maybe that additional layer of being the goalkeeper. So in a way, perhaps it's easier for him to criticise the way they play because it's not directly about him. But maybe in a way, it's also more frustrating the way that they play because, again, it's not directly about him. And maybe there's elements of it that he feels he can't condition or or, 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 or change and, and he would like to. Feels like we're playing amateur psychologist, Sydney. It does, doesn't yes. it? Yeah, I can't believe it. Well, yeah, sorry about um, that. He's, he's only 30 and if he doesn't want to leave, he's still got a long career ahead of him as a goalkeeper. Yeah, I think as a goalkeeper. He's, yeah. he's, he's, yeah, he's achieved a huge amount with Atletico Madrid, but uh, he's not had European success. Uh, before we talk about Barcelona, we need to talk about some news that at the time of recording is breaking uh, suggestions on Twitter by the ever-reliable David Ornstein that Chelsea have reached a verbal agreement to sign João Felix on loan from Atleti. Um, it would be initially, I think, until the end of the uh, until the end of the season, and then we would see a deal's not been signed yet, but it looks like it could happen. João Felix, who came yeah. off, he came off in the seventy-third minute of this game. And it just felt like the most normal thing in the world because Shao Felix always yeah. goes off. He always goes off. I was looking at the stats. He started seven matches this season. He's gone off in six of them. It means that in only one of Atleti's 16 games this season in the league, he's played the full 90 minutes. He's played 96 games in La Liga for Atletico. He's only started 55 of them. And he scored a pretty modest total of 25 league goals. If this is the end of João Félix at Atletico Madrid, and we've had the feeling for a while now that we're approaching the end of João Félix at Atletico Madrid, what what are your feelings on how the last four seasons have gone? Because they have been so disappointing and underwhelming from everyone involved in this. I think not just João Félix. No one really comes out of this yeah. looking particularly good. Not him, not the manager, not the club. No, and and yeah, we 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 dealt with a little bit of this on the pod last week, but I think there's a really really nice way of framing this. Was it's exactly what you said at the beginning of this, and you said he went off, and it seemed like the most normal thing in the world. Mm. I think he's about to leave, and it's going to seem like the most normal thing in the world, mm. and that's quite sad. That mm. this isn't about a kind of oh what a disaster, what a tragedy, what a failure he was. Although I think there will be people who say he's a failure, of course. It's more going to be a sense of well. That's kind of the best scenario now. And it's a real pity because there have been moments when I think you could make the case that says this guy's been really good. I think in the season in which they won the league, I think for the first three or four months of the season, I think you could make a case for saying he was the best player in Spain. But then he wasn't for the rest of the season. And they went on mm. to win the league. Yes, it's true. Built upon that early start to the season when they got 50 points in the first uh, half of the season in the Primera Vuelta. But it wasn't just about that. And by the end of the season, if you said to, if you were to say, who were the key players when they won the league? You'd say, well, Luis Suarez mm. and Marco Llorente 
So even yeah. then, even in a season in which he starts as the best, he's not the player you immediately say the league title is about him. I now, think he I'm was co- saying... considerably less important than Kieran Trippier as well. I would agree with you, yes. Um, <laughs> and I would even argue maybe Mario Adamossa, which is, seems mm. like a bizarre thing to say considering the way that Adamossa is playing these days. But I, I, So I think that... I, I, look, I'm not for one minute saying that you make the demands that a player like this leads a team to, the, to win the league. I think you have to put it in the context that he comes to a club very young. But I also think you put it in the context that he comes to a club at 125 million euros. Having, correct me if I'm wrong, I think only played 26 um, elite level football matches, uh, mm. top level, top division level football matches. Um, too much money was spent on him to start with. And that conditions everything because it conditions expectation, it conditions pressure, it conditions the way that he and everyone else responds to those games when he doesn't play well or to those games when he doesn't play at all. Mm. And I think we've reached a point where, in truth, him not being a starter for Atletico Madrid is a little bit disappointing sometimes because there's no doubt that there's talent there, but it's also not particularly a, a, a big deal. Mm. You know, I, I would, if you said to me, right, what's the Atletico Madrid best 11? I'm not 100% sure I would put him in it. Hmm. Not 100% sure. If I know he's on form, then I absolutely am 100% sure. But it's not that often. And there hasn't been continuity. And there hasn't been continuity for his fault, for Simeone's fault, for, I would say, the contextual fault of everything that goes with it. And this is the club as well. For injuries as well, which he's had quite a lot of. Not really, really terrible ones, but quite a lot of little minor ones that, that break up the continuity. And I think, essentially, the feeling in the end is is that if he goes, it's kind of, well let's make the best of this situation which isn't particularly good and I think the fundamental thing is to say that he's in his fourth season right we look at him as a young player mm-hmm. we look at him as a player who could be really good we look at him as a player who might make it but it's four seasons and how long do you wait for a player mm-hmm. and whether that's his fault or someone else's fault that's a reality there reaches a point where you can't and it's clear that him and Simeone don't see eye to eye it's clear that their approach to football isn't quite the same it's clear that their attitudes are not quite the same but I also think there is something really striking about the fact that this whole kind of storyline has been built on the fact um, by storyline I mean the fact that it's kind of become public knowledge what we all fundamentally knew on the fact that Miguel Angel Gil Marín the CEO of the club and essentially the owner of the club came out and publicly said during the World Cup the most reasonable thing now is for him to go and said it's clear that he doesn't want to stay and him and the manager have a problem. Now, I don't know about you, but I don't think that's very good management of your club to basically point the finger at the player and the coach, even if it's true. Hmm. I know it was a, a, a pretty breathtaking uh, interview that he gave to uh, Televisión Española at the start of December, Miguel Ángel uh, Gilmarín. Anyway, uh, we'll see what happens in the next 24 hours or so with the development of this story, but it was something that obviously we had to talk about. Uh, back to the game at the weekend and back to Barcelona, who are three points clear at the top of the table now. Uh, Sydney, they got this victory uh, without Robert Lewandowski, was suspended, and he was actually suspended uh, for this game. And without without the man who was supposed to replace him, and obviously not a like-for-like replacement, but Ansu Fati uh, started didn't play particularly well, but they still managed to get the still managed to get the victory. They had Usman Dembele doing Usman Dembele things. I you never really know what he's going to do. Uh, Pedri showing flashes of intense brilliance. What did you make of Barca overall? Well, I, well, overall, I didn't make a huge amount of them, but I'm going to put this into context because I, 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 I'm concerned that that would be an over harsh way of putting it. I think we do need to put it in the context of saying that they hung on and they did get the result, and I think that's significant, and I think it's quite interesting. Mm. Um, I also know, you know, we, we're all well aware they partly held on to the result through fortune, 
You know, some mm. of it is good luck. You know, there's mm. a couple of really terrible headed misses, Reynildo and, and, and Jimenez. Now, the Jimenez one, I'll let him off because it's a really good jump and he times it well and he gets there. And once he's there, he should probably score. But the intent is really good and he just puts it a bit wide. The Reynildo one is awful. And Reynildo was incredibly poor in this game. For a guy who I think has been pretty good for the most part since he's been at Athletic Commission, but he was dreadful all the way through this game and making really, really bizarrely simple mistakes quite often. Um, Barcelona, I thought that first 20 minutes was, was, was pretty good. I also thought it was very interesting because I think Xavi changed the formation. Now, theoretically, we were looking at a 4-3-3, but it wasn't at all. Um, because essentially it was Dembélé on the right, and it was. I had no idea what their formation was. Well, I think it was almost <laughs> almost a square shape. So you yeah, had you yeah, had um, yeah. De, de Jong alongside Busquets, and then you had Pedri kind of off the forward, mm. and then you had sort of Gavi slightly to his right. But it was it was more a uh, it was what's the word Is it the, for the the shape that's shaped like a square, but it's sort of diagonal. The sides are diagonal, rhombus straight on. Rhombus, that's right. Yeah, it's, yeah, but it's not a rhombus in the sense of it's not a diamond, but it was kind of a rhombus shape. And so so those two were sort of slightly nudged to the right, even though Dembélé was to the right, if mm. you see what I mean. And then the left was kind of left for, for, for Balde, who didn't really cover a huge amount of it, actually, in truth. And then Ansu would go out towards the left. And then, of course, you'd have Pedri drift there occasionally. But I thought what they did is they tried to fill the middle of the pitch. And Xavi talked after the game about the importance of doing that. And I think, to be fair to him, he was right for 25 minutes. But mm. then the game completely slipped away from them. Now, what I think is quite good about the way that it slipped away from them is that they then started to do some of those things that you don't really identify with Barcelona really, really well. And I'm going to jump on our normal hobby horse and I'm going to go and say, Uruguayo, because I thought Araujo was brilliant and I thought mm-hmm. he was brilliant doing those things that you sometimes wonder if Xavi doesn't entirely embrace. Um, but I, by the way, I also thought Christensen was really good. Really, Christensen really was good. very good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Very good indeed. And 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 I actually spoke to him after the game because we had him in flash for for ESPN and sort of said, you know, is this a degree of satisfaction of being a defender? And you know, this is a guy who, by the way, when he joined Barcelona, talked about how he grew up loving the way they play and loving the style and the rest of it. But you come and you do something so absolutely un Barcelona from a you know from a stereotypical point of view, and there must be some satisfaction in that as well. Of, defending and being resilient and throwing yourself at the ball, which admittedly was more Araujo than him, but and, and, and Kunde as well, less so Balde, who I didn't think had a great game. And, and he said, yeah, but I'd have rather not suffered quite so much. <laughs> he said, I would have rather it was finished sooner. But I think it was, it was interesting that they did that, and I thought Araujo did it really brilliantly. Really just, I thought he was absolutely fantastic. And that's a good sign for Barcelona that they can hung on. And we talked about this, didn't we, on probably Friday, I can't remember which day it was now, when Xavi was talking about our problem is in, the, is, in the, is in the two areas. We control the game in the middle of the pitch. Now, personally, I don't agree with him anyway. Right, generally, I don't think that's been as true as he would like to believe it has been. But he did admit in this game it was a complete opposite. They lost control in the middle, but they were good in the two areas, and that's without Lewandowski, by the way, who's been one of the reasons why they have been good in the areas until until now. Um, so in that sense, I think it's a big, big win for Barcelona emotionally. Mm. I think it's an interesting win because it shows a degree of resilience. I wonder, and I don't know because again, I don't want to go too far down the amateur psychologist route, whether this is a good win for Xavi. In terms of him valuing, embracing, accepting, and maybe occasionally leaning on that other kind of football, you know, mm. winning a game cholo style, I suppose you could could say. Well, not not quite. Not quite. No, because they no. weren't. It wasn't bus parking, but it was resisting. 
It was resisting. It was it was resisting. The there, were, there were some long balls as well. He was telling Ter Stegen yeah. to pump the ball up the field as well, which uh, uh, yeah. somewhat surprising. Uh, we also spoke to Xavi on, on, on La Liga TV after the game, and um, I asked him what what aspect of his team's performance did he did he was he most pleased with, and he said, "Well, we suffered. The fact that we suffered." Yeah. And then he used the word suffering about six or seven times in, yeah. the, uh, in the answer. So obviously he was very pleased to have come through uh, a game like this. And yeah, maybe it's maybe it's something that his team can build on and it will serve them in good stead uh, yeah. emotionally. Um, let's move on because we've got lots of other stuff we want to talk about. Remember, if there is something that we haven't spoken about and you want us to talk about it, Ask us a question and we'll answer it on our Q&A pod for patrons. Uh, Villarreal 2, uh, Real Madrid 1 was uh, it's going to be up there for one of the games of the season, certainly in terms of quality and, and entertainment and excitement. In terms of a, a visual spectacle, it was, it was pretty thrilling. We'll talk about Real Madrid, but we've got to start the assessment of this game by talking about Villarreal, who are very good, really good. So good that they should have won this game. Well, they they should have scored more than the two goals they had because they created many, many openings against a, a Real Madrid side that was not at the races at all. And you can begin to see some technical, tactical things that Kike Setien has implemented with his side over the last seven or eight weeks. Yeah, I agree with you. Um... I, I mean, I think I, I was I was writing about this day, and I was thinking about. It, and I think they 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 didn't win. It took him five games to win a game for them. Um, it took until his fifth match. They've now won six in a row. Now we have to be careful about the six in a row because three of them are with lower level teams in the Copa del Rey. One of them is a one nil win. Uh, thanks to an own goal against Espanyol. One of them is the last minute header from Foyth against Valencia. But now there's this one. And this is Real Madrid, and this is big. Now maybe we shouldn't get overexcited because Real Madrid have now gone six years in a row without winning at the Madrigal, sorry, mm-hmm. at the Theramica. Although it's the first time they've actually been beaten. Um, but I think you're right. There are elements of Setien's game, which I think you can see them embracing. Now, to give you some of those, uh, and, and tell me if there's some that you think I'm missing out. The fact that Parejo plays as a single pivot now, mm-hmm. I think is quite interesting. Mm-hmm. Not with, a, not with a, theoretically a more athletic player alongside him or a tougher player alongside him. Um, that, I think, allows for a degree of freedom for Coquelin. And Coquelin is now, it seems to me, getting closer to the forwards than he was before. Um, and obviously nearly scored an absolutely wonderful goal with that, with that back heel flick. Um, I also think it's really interesting the role that he's created for Alex Baena. Mm. Well, I'll be honest with you, I saw as a forward. And he's playing him in the middle three now. Mm-hmm. Um, close to the forwards, yes, but in, in the middle three. And I thought that was really interesting. He seems to want the two wingers to be quite open. And what that's doing as well, I think, is it's allowing Gerard Moreno to have the freedom that we always knew he had. And he always has had this, you know, to not really be a nine, but to be maybe a nine and a half. But Moreno used to do that to the right of a centre forward. He's now doing it as the only centre forward, Hmm. which I think is quite interesting as well. And so I think we are seeing tweaks that are about Setien. And I think we're seeing a shift. And I think one of the things that makes that significant from my point of view is that that early start, and Setien himself has used the word shock, I think he maybe tried to change some things too quick. And some of the players, I think, were reticent to do so. And I think some of the players were uneasy about the the shift because there wasn't too much wrong with that team. It wasn't a brilliant team, but there wasn't too much wrong with it. And I think what this has shown is that maybe he's starting to get acceptance from them. Whether that's because he's imposed it on them or whether time has just shown them or whether maybe they've just softened up a little bit or whether he's become a bit more flexible with them. But I think we're starting to see that that reticence is slipping away a bit. 
I think we saw a brilliant performance from Raul Albiol, who, of course, he didn't put play in his... Was it his first his first team or his the second team? The second 11 he put out, I think he didn't have Raul Albiol in, which I was shocked by, I must admit. And, and Albiol was brilliant in this game. And so I just I sort of look at it and think, it feels like there's a momentum building. Now, I don't want to overplay this, but when Unai Emery went, they were ninth. They're sixth now. Now, again, that's not a big difference. It's only two or three points difference. And actually, the position of the table is not that big because the week after Unai Emery, they were back up to, I think, sixth or seventh. But there is definitely, I think, a, a, a feeling that this is starting to fall into place. And we're starting to see some of those Setien things. And we did say when they signed him, although obviously they signed him in part because they were stuck. I'm like, who do we go for? There isn't really anyone out there. We're in a hurry. We don't really have a manager. Uh, this guy. And Setien admitted... And I think we talked about this because because we'd seen um, you know we'd we'd seen some of the things that he'd said and also been aware of, of of the fact that he'd basically given up on coaching. He wasn't going to go back into it. He wasn't bothered, and he'd gone two years without basically doing anything. And I think he was a little bit rusty as well. And I think it's taken a little bit of time for him to kind of get into it. And and now you look at it, you think on the face of it, this is a squad with the kind of players that can do the kind of things he wants to do, and it's 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 not a bad fit. Uh, they're a point off fourth, uh, so they're very much yeah. in the battle for uh, Champions League football, which is their aspirations for this season. Let's see if uh, Setien can can lead them to a to a top four. Um, Real Madrid, it was not a good performance from them at all, uh, losing their first game of the year as they did last year. First game of twenty twenty two in in the league was a defeat to Getafe. They went on to win the league, and they're going to have to improve if they're, they're going to win the league uh, this year. Ancelotti said, Villarreal played better than us. We didn't defend well. The team wasn't compact. They took advantage of that. Um, it, it, it wasn't a good performance from Real Madrid, who had a, a slightly makeshift back four. We saw Militao playing at right back uh, because Carvajal wasn't wasn't available. We had Rudiger Alaba as, as the centre-back pairing and Mondi, who isn't, isn't playing uh, particularly well. Uh, what did you make of uh, Real Madrid and, and what went wrong for them? Well, on, on the face of it, uh, Militao at right back isn't a problem. You know, as as an alternative to Carvajal, um, it's basically it's him or Lucas Vazquez, or, or I suppose at a push it could be Nacho. Um, he played there for Brazil. There's not a huge amount wrong with him. I think what was missing was the kind of coordination, if you see what I mean, of the defensive line as much as anything else. And I thought the defender that really played badly was Rudiger, mm. who got caught out a, a huge amount in the opening what fifteen twenty minutes or so. I, I thought he looked really out of sorts. I thought they didn't manage to control the middle of the pitch. They 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 were very very open there, um, and there were times when Modric was coming to get the ball from deep. And it was almost as if instead of there being three lines on the pitch in a defence midfield and forward line, there were two. There was a defensive line plus Modric coming to get the ball and then everyone else, sort of somewhere else, and not really very much in between. And I think structurally they were poor and I think that speaks to that idea of Ancelotti's that they weren't very compact. But I think they came up against a very good team and I think they didn't manage it particularly well um, and I think there's all sorts of reasons for that uh, one is the makeshift team uh, the other although you know it's still a team full of absolutely brilliant footballers the other maybe physicality maybe mentally um, but but I, I don't want to get too far away from the analysis being about Villarreal because I thought they were really good they were and they were good to watch and we're uh, we're excited to see uh, what they can do it's a busy old time for Real Madrid it has to be said now because they've basically got a game 
every three days for the next two months or so because they've got the league, they've got the Spanish Super Cup, they've got the Copa del Rey and they've got the return of the Champions League as well. So uh, they're going to have to use uh, the full um, extent of their squad over the next uh, over the next few uh, few weeks or so. A quick word, Sydney, about the game you went to also on, on, on Sunday. You went to Vallecas to see Rio uh, lose 2-1 to Betis. It wasn't the best game in terms of weather conditions. You were bloody cold. And you weren't very happy about it. Uh, but the uh, I thought it was a, a pretty exciting game, as it always, almost always is when you go uh, to Vallecas. The whole footballing experience is uh, pretty uh, thrilling. It draws you in. And Raya should have got something from this game, man. Definitely. Definitely. Um, and and this is it. I, I, I completely agree with you. I think Raya Vallecano is the best place to go and watch football in Spain at the moment. Um, it may not be the best in terms of the finesse, um, but there's there's an excitement about them. There's a commitment to attack. They com- commit loads of players up the pitch. They attack you with two wingers, basically, because the two fullbacks go very, very high. They're quite direct, which makes it exciting. Um, but without direct being just a simple long ball, it's direct to open you up rather than direct to go to a target man. Because particularly when Camelio plays, they don't really have that target man. Um, this is a curious one because they conceded two goals and Betis also hit the post twice. Mm. And yet, I would agree with you that Rio deserved more. I, I, I still am a bit baffled by the rolling out of the senior goal. I know it's for offside. Senior, I'm even calling him a senior now. The, the Issy goal. I know, it's, I know it's for offside, but I don't see interference, to be perfectly honest with you. Mm. I, I really don't see interference. Um, I, I thought they created sufficient chances to have been much more in the game. And also the sense of the pattern of the game. You know what? There's a bit of me that wants to go to the press conference and tell you what, what Mamo Pellegrini said, which I think sums it up quite nicely. He was asked, why are the Betis Rio Vallecano games always really quite good fun? And his response was, that's quite simple. We're both really good teams with really good players who don't like to defend. And so that's pretty much it. <laughs> that's, sort, that's sort of what it was. Uh, that's a very good assessment from uh, from Manuel Pellegrini. And it's true. Fixtures between these two sides do tend to be pretty entertaining. Uh, I don't know why that goal for Isi Palathon was ruled out. We don't tend to talk about these kind of things on the podcast. We didn't even mention the two very silly penalties that were given in the Real Madrid-Villarreal game. I mean, the handballs, all right, Goodness me, they were very silly. But anyway, we, well, I mean, we, we could have a whole conceptual debate about that, and we we're could not be going here to. all day. We won't, and we're not won't going do to. That. <laughs> we won't do that. Sid. We simply won't. Well, I mean, I it's, refuse it's, a, to do it's it. a real joy, isn't it? It's a real joy that at least it was one at each end. So, although there could be a huge amount of debate around it, at least it wasn't sort of argumentative. If you see what I mean. I don't know how much you got to see of Sevilla's game against Getafe. Very it, little, unfortunately. It, it was. I can tell you that it was not a classic, and they were not particularly good. Uh, but they did manage to um, get over the line, and I think that was the most important thing in this game. Remember, they hadn't won all season at home. They'd only scored four goals at home all season. They were the lowest scorers at home all season. Winning yesterday was absolutely imperative, and they just about managed to do it. Now... They've got three winnable-looking games. They've got Girona away, Cadiz at home, Elche at home. Those are their next three league games. They're out of the relegation zone now, just about on goal difference. And they really need to kick on. And Sampaoli said, this is the beginning of our growth. I mean... It sh- yeah. hopefully for them it should be well but it has to be it, it has, has to be, be. and you're right those, those games uh, are, are good ones for that San Paoli also did admit didn't he that they weren't that great and you could feel the nervousness and you could feel the anxiety and that they have to play a lot better which they do uh, but maybe in truth and at the risk of sounding dismissive of other teams they don't need to play very much better to win those matches 
<laughs> it's true. I think it's a, a fair assessment. Although Girona are, are a decent side. Yeah, they'll actually, him, Girona are a good, good side, yeah. yeah. Elche, yeah. on the other hand, really aren't. I mean, that comment from Machim where he said, we're getting closer to winning. I think I'm afraid you're getting closer to going down. They are. And they, and, and they might beat the, the record number of low points uh, set by Sporting Quijón a, a few years ago. So we'll, we'll see. Um, that's just about all we've got time for for this edition of the Spanish Football Podcast. This week, Sydney, we've got the Supercopa de España. In Saudi Arabia. Yeah. On Wednesday, it's Real Madrid against Valencia. Then on Thursday, we've got Betis against Barca. And on Sunday, we've got the final. So we'll be talking about that on the bonus podcast. And anything else you want us to talk about on the Q&A pod, come and join us at patreon.com forward slash TSFP. Sydney, we'll speak soon, my friends. Adios. Cheerio. Network.